0: Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth. I'm John Martin and Brian Johnston's our Bible teacher. We're dealing with objections to the Gospel in this ten-part series and today's part six and Brian's offering help with those who say, but isn't the Bible full of errors? To many people the Bible can be a daunting book and many objections raised by people can be seen as a tactic to avoid seeking out its truths or facing its challenges. On Search for Truth, we always seek to offer sound Bible teaching without bias or traditional embellishment. We hope you'll investigate further and make these truths your own, and that's one of the reasons we offer a free transcript booklet for these programmes. I'll tell you how to get it after Brian's talk. But the objection for today is, isn't the Bible full of errors?
1: Well, John, I think the first thing to say is that Christians believe the Bible is ultimate truth, that it's God's word for the human race but in it the Creator has communicated with his creatures. Now, there are people whose hearts are set against believing that. This talk is not really aimed at them, for they've no wish to be persuaded. But I've met many people, and I'm sure you have too, people who quite casually say, oh, you can't trust the Bible, it's full of errors and contradictions. In my experience, when I try to engage them in conversation, I find that they're simply repeating something they've heard someone else say. I honestly don't think some who say this have ever actually sat down and read the Bible. So why do they say it? Often, I suspect, they use it as a way to avoid having to think about what are for them uncomfortable issues, such as their accountability to God. Perhaps someone has voiced the objection to you, but isn't the Bible full of errors? How did you respond? Or it could be that you have had doubts of your own. Either way, I hope that what we have to say today will be of some help. So we're looking at the objection, isn't the Bible full of errors? Usually, the sincerity of those who make this criticism is immediately suspect, for when asked for an example, they can't furnish a single one. Some may claim some alleged evidence. However, apparent contradictions there may be, but when we rightly understand the historical and scientific facts presented in the Bible and for this we need the help of the Spirit of God, and when we also rightly interpret the historical and scientific facts from the world around us, we see there's no contradiction after all. Sir William Ramsay, who devoted many years to the archaeology of Asia Minor, has testified to Luke's intimate and accurate acquaintance with Asia Minor and the Greek East at that time, when he said, "...Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of its trustworthiness." It was the conclusion his researches had led him to, in spite of the fact that he started with a very different opinion. Here's how he himself put it, Luke is a historian of the first rank, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. So Ramsay overcame his prejudice. For whatever reason, he'd at first been disinclined to accept the reliability of the Bible as history until he brought his relevant expertise to bear on the actual evidence. In fact, an outstanding Jewish archaeologist has stated that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. On the contrary, there have been discoveries that have completely vindicated the Bible. Characters, stories and books of the Bible, which were once dismissed by critics, must now be taken more seriously by them as a result of evidence from outside the Bible which is consistent with, say, the siege of Jericho, the walled city, with David the great king of Israel, and with the historical setting of the book of Daniel, to name a few. It's easy to dismiss something if we refuse to even consider taking its claim seriously. But if we're sincere and take the challenge to investigate properly, then we too may be surprised. But external evidence is not the only test which the Bible passes. Another test of any piece of ancient literature is what might be called the internal test. Basically, this test asks the question, does it ring true? Take, for example, the fact that the writers of the four Gospels write about themselves and their companions in ways that are far from flattering. Their failures are highlighted, like Peter's shameful denial of Jesus, and the doubts that Thomas had. We get to see them warts and all, as it were, as when they're cowering for fear in that upper room in Jerusalem and describe their own total shock when Jesus appeared to them in resurrection. There's a very real sense we are seeing the story as it truly happened. They write of an event that they were unprepared for. Of course, someone might say, but this is just creative writing. But think it through the whole way we do know that not a few of these early Christian writers died a martyr's death. It's one thing to willingly accept death for something you passionately and sincerely believe in, but who would die for a lie? Who would die for a creative fabrication of their own making? But just suppose, for the sake of argument, that you want to persist in believing that these men were living a lie and making the whole thing up. If that was their motive and they were being as careful as you give them credit for being, then surely they wouldn't have introduced elements into the story which defied the conventions and the very customs of the society in which they lived. They would never have done that if they were desperately trying to appear convincing. But in the unfolding drama, as recorded, of the resurrection, it's women who play a leading role as the first witnesses. They're prominent in the early record, Now bear in mind that at this point in history and in that culture especially the testimony of women was not considered valid in a court of law. The Jewish religious leaders didn't talk with women apart from their own wives presumably. So why weaken your own case? Why did they say that women were the earliest witnesses? Unless that's exactly how it was. But those who at least have a superficial acquaintance with the Bible, may point to two Bible references to the same incident which appear to give different information. For example, one account saying two blind beggars were healed by Jesus, while the other record mentions only one. Fair enough. But there's no impossible contradiction, is there? If there were two, then there most certainly was one. It's natural for eyewitnesses to focus down on different things. That's common in any court of law. It's even more common when you have spectators comparing views on a football match that they've watched together. You sometimes wonder if they really did see the same match. But of course you know that they did. Now, there's one final test, a third, alongside the external and internal tests that we've been talking about already. In the case of all ancient documents, we no longer have the originals. The materials they were written down on wore out long ago. But copies were made, and then these also were copied, and so the record of ancient events was passed down to us. This is true not only of the Bible, but also of, say, the record of Caesar's Gallic Wars. So we only have copies of copies of copies, etc. How then do the experts have confidence in what is reliable and what is not? Well, what they do is they gather up all the copies in existence and find out the date of the oldest copy. They then compare that date with the date of the original writing. If there are lots of copies, and if the time gap between the original and the oldest existing copy is small, then that gives a high degree of confidence that the copies which we have are reliable. For example, in the case of the record of his Gallic Wars by Julius Caesar, We have ten copies known to us today, and they date back to 1,000 years after Caesar's death. On the strength of that, these documentary writings are believed to be trustworthy by historians. So that gives us a feel for the standard that's acceptable to those who routinely deal with these things. So now let's turn to the New Testament of the Bible. What we find is that lots of really old copies of what was written still survive – There are literally thousands of manuscripts in differing degrees of completeness and dating back to only a hundred years maximum since the time of the cross of Christ. So by the same standards, to a fair-minded person who's really looking into the evidence, the Bible's got to be accepted as an accurate record of events. At least if we accept any other piece of ancient literature, then we must accept the Bible. I know it may seem confusing that there are so many differences in translated versions of the Bible today, but these differences are really not down to disagreement between the existing copies of the original, but they reflect different styles of translation. While some variations exist, there's an overwhelming degree of agreement that exists among the ancient records. The bottom line is we can have confidence in the Bible which we hold in our hands today, This fact was reinforced in 1947 with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. These scrolls, found well preserved in a cave, were found to contain copies of Bible books like that of the prophet Isaiah, which were 1,000 years older than any other copy previously known to exist. And when they made the comparisons, they confirmed that there had been really accurate copying. In fact, we know that the care taken in copying by hand was almost unbelievable with all the detailed cross-checks that were made. And what the Dead Sea Scrolls prove is that the system worked amazingly well, for the Jews involved of course believed they were handling a sacred text. But the Bible makes claims that the original writings were God-breathed or inspired by God a supernatural process which guided the 40 or so human authors over some one and a half thousand years. Is there anything testable which backs up that claim? Well, of course, the fulfilled prophecies found in the Bible are the proof that it's the inspired word of God. For example, over 300 prophecies about the Messiah were exactly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some predictions were so improbable of fulfilment that no human insight could ever have foreseen them. If you read Matthew's Gospel, you'll discover a dozen specific ways in which the life of Jesus satisfied the Old Testament predictions. Predictions for the one who would come as the Jewish Messiah. Isaiah, writing about 700 years before Christ's birth, foretold of Jesus that as the Messiah he'd be despised and rejected and suffer terribly. It was an incredible portrait he painted of his own nation, not recognising but rejecting their own Messiah for whom they were longingly waiting. But amazing as it was, we know it came true in Jesus' life and death. The evidence for the Bible being the word of God and Jesus being the Son of God is overwhelming. The purpose of this divinely inspired book is that you may believe Jesus is God's Son, and by believing have life in his name.
2: Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood.
0: Truths or Errors One of the reasons God's word has stood the test of time over thousands of years is simply because it is God's word and millions of people have found its truths to be absolutely reliable. Three of the Gospel writers record Jesus as saying heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. Now, if you've got a question or you'd like uh, the free transcript booklet, which I told you about earlier, ask for Overcoming Objections and write to Search for Truth, PO Box 111, Lee, spelt L-E-I-G-H, and the postcode is WN71WJ, England. If you're listening in Australia, write to Search for Truth, Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria, 3134. And in Africa, it's Search for Truth, PO Box 70115, Chilomini, Blantyre, Malawi or Search for Truth, P.O. Box 37, Surulere, Lagos State, Nigeria. Canadian listeners, please write to Search for Truth, P.O. Box 28026, Brantford, Ontario, N3R7E0. You may like to email us. The address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you may be interested to visit our website. It's at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. It's been a joy to share these things with you today and next time Brian offers help with those who say Won't living a good life get me to heaven? Till then, it's cheerio from Brian, our studio technician David Shaw, our singers Justine and Stephen and me, John Martin. May God richly bless you wherever you are.
2: On them, I-